morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Village Church where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. My name is Patience Teague. I am the director of music here at the Village Church. Welcome to all those in the house physically and those who are joining us um, either now or later in the week via Facebook. We are um, thankful for you all, and it's a pleasure to, um, to worship with you this morning. In the way of announcements, I have a few things that we need to address. First, today uh, is our first youth meeting for this session. Praise God. I got three people in my house that are thrilled about this. Um, (laughs) So that starts this afternoon or actually today following service. So please um, stay for that. It will be a good time, I'm sure. Also, Please join us for corporate prayer on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. here at the church or via Zoom. Um, And speaking of prayer, we want to pray with and for you. So if you have any prayer requests, please email those to Cynthia at enterthevillage.net. We will certainly um, lift those up to the Lord. And that is all I have in a way of announcement. So let's take a few moments for prayer preparation to um, just still our hearts and our minds before the Lord. Please bow. Lord, you say, be still and know that I am God. And uh, in this phase of my life, I'm growing to love that verse. Be still and know that you are God. Father, we've come into this place today. Coming from a variety of physical and mental spaces. Um, a, a variety of feelings and emotions and thoughts. But, Father, we love you, and we know we need you. And so we've come here to fellowship together and to fellowship with you. Father, we just ask Spirit, prepare our hearts and our minds this morning to to fellowship with one another, to fellowship with you. Prepare our hearts and minds, Spirit, to hear and receive the word of the Lord. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I I just pray that we can all just be open to receive that this morning and not just hear it, um, but to do it and to leave this place changed. God, we, again, we just love you and we we praise you and we adore you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for our call to worship. 
it is taken taken from the um, the song all hail the power of jesus name please join with me where it notes congregation all hail the power of jesus name let angels prostrate fall bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all let every kindred every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord of all to him all majesty ascribe and crown him lord of all amen please bow for our prayer praise jesus you are powerful and we are here we've come to bring you our praise this morning with our hearts and our minds we say hallelujah thank you jesus we acknowledge you reign over all you are our emmanuel you are with us no matter what's going on in the good and in the crazy you are with us and we thank you and we praise you for that lord we love you you are wonderful you are amazing and um, unfortunately I don't take enough time to just stop and think about that think about your goodness think about your love for us think about um, how you are faithful you don't lie if you say it you do it and I can believe it and we are grateful for that this morning you are our shepherd We don't have to want for anything. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our soul. You lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. And even though I, we, may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear because you are with us. You are Emmanuel. You are right there. You are our rod and you're our staff and they bring us comfort. You bring us comfort. You prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil. Our cups overflow, overflow, overflow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow each and every one of us all the days of our lives. Your mercies are new every morning. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. Father, we praise you and thank you for sending your spirit to rest, rule, and abide with us. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Confession of sin, uh, confession.
comes from James 1.15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let's take a few minutes. assurance of pardon uh, here first John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness uh, I'm going to read the scripture passage from which our sermon is based today just one verse Romans 8 18 for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory of that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, first off, I want to echo and continue to give you praise for um, this truth that the sufferings, the groanings of this world um, are not forever and are not pointless, that they are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. We pray and look forward to that day sons are revealed in fullness and um, there will be no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, and we won't even need the sun because we have you as our that present of a light. And I thank you for being with us even now um, and that your kingdom is, is come and it's coming in fullness. Uh, I pray for all of us here gathered today that we would participate in that and in and let your peace rule in our hearts um, that uh, where there are anxieties and worries or stresses um, that would distract us um, things that would that vie for our attention all the things that we would put on the throne of our hearts and that we do functionally regardless of what we say all that um, that you would do works in our heart by your spirit and orient our lives to you service, through this gathering, through the preaching of your word, um, the fantastic music and words that are spoken and prayed and said, thought about, Lord, all of that would 
uh, serve to orient us towards you, uh, our creator, our maker, uh, and also our king and the guarantee of a good future. Um, For anybody here, anybody who will uh, see this service that doesn't know you, I pray that you would um, turn their heart to you, that they would see their need for you and and receive you in saving faith and and become members of that kingdom. Um, And uh, pray for uh, the leadership here at this church, those who are here today. who are not here, I uh, pray that you would be with every one of us uh, wisdom, discernment, and just sensitive to your spirit uh, lies and how you're speaking. And um, thank you for this church, uh, this expression of your body, and thank you for being our God. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. today. Thank you also, uh, Patience, Ms. Teague, she stepped out, um, for leading us in singing before our um, official service time began. Wow, I mean, a lot of you all are here today, and you guys look absolutely beautiful. Um, When you think about, you're welcome, Chris, Uh, when you think about what Christ has called his body to look like, uh, a diverse group of people from different backgrounds uh, in all different categories. I think the Village Church is striving more and more consistently and intentionally to uh, bring that about uh, to my wife and son who are not here today, and I'm sure my mom and siblings are will watch eventually when I tell them that I'm preaching today. Uh, uh, For those of you all that came to hear Pastor Alex, he is out of town, and so uh, he is not here. I'm sorry. And then Amos was supposed to fill in for him, and so for those that came to hear Amos, I'm sorry. Uh, He was exposed to COVID, and so uh, I'm not saying this as an excuse, uh, but I found out Friday morning that I will be here today. And I uh, uh, started working on this sometimes during work on Friday. Uh, so if, if nothing else, it, it does give you a reason not to boo me during this sermon, okay? Uh, not to boo me during this sermon. Uh, to the leadership of this church, the, the elders and, and deacons, uh, and, and those of you all that lead in many other categories, uh, I voluntarily put myself in that situation. And so afterwards... Uh, we will have our first youth meeting in a long time. Uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, and we'll 
continue to pray for Pastor and uh, his wife travels as I think his children are doing travel league sports now. Um, and so all that means is that the church is going to have to pay him a lot more money to keep up with that uh, for sure. <clears throat> well, James Massey and Gardner Taylor describe preaching uh, as a burdensome joy and the sweet torture of Sunday morning. And a lot of you all throughout your week may have activities or events or situations that happen that may cause you to feel the same way about that thing. Perhaps it could be that at work you find it a burdensome joy. Perhaps parenting uh, sometimes feel like sweet torture. Um, and I think we can all agree that there is a lot of hurt in our communities, in our states and nations uh, that a lot more people are aware of today. And Paul, he tells us um here in Rome is that we're not the first church, we're not the first community or group of people to experience pain and sufferings. In fact, as uh, Wesley has already read, he states in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And this this passage is, uh, all of Romans 8 is extremely important. Uh, I have a, uh, a, a, a dear friend and colleague um, where at their school, um, the students memorize Romans 8. Um, and there's other places that I, I later found out that memorizes Roman 8. In fact, John Piper preached a sermon, uh, and one of his sermons was strictly from Scripture memorization, and Romans 8 was one of those uh, chapters that he quoted from memory. And it's interesting that in Romans 8, uh, there's this groaning. There's this groaning that takes place. And, and, and the groaning takes place from... The people, God's people, they're groaning. The creation is groaning. And, and that seems to be, well, obvious, right? Because of the fallen world, we should be groaning. And yet there's someone else that's groaning in Romans 8. It's the Spirit, the Spirit of God. And he groans with us on our behalf. And so as I, when I get ready to go through this sermon in a few minutes, uh, uh, I want you to realize that when we, when we discuss the sufferings of this world, that our groaning is not falling on deaf ears, but also it's, it's not alone. Uh, yes, creation, and we're included in that groan, but God groans for redemption and restoration as well. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to stand in your presence with your people. 
seeking to glorify you. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight. My God and King, amen. And so, uh, as you all, uh, well, maybe some of you all don't know, I have been teaching in some capacity uh, almost really all my life, but formally in a in a legitimate, educated setting. Uh, I started off at a college level, and I taught high school for a little while, and I'm currently still teaching uh, master's levels at Birmingham Theological Seminary. And it was while I was teaching high school that we were we were going through Acts, but a student was reading, I think, for their daily devotion, the book of Romans. And while reading, they got to Romans chapter 8, and they read verse 18, and a student came to me. And the student said, Mr. Lee, I read this verse, and I have a question. And it was a legitimate question. In fact, it was one of uh, my favorite questions that I've heard uh, in a long time, especially when it comes to Romans. The student said, uh, Paul said, uh, he mentioned sufferings a lot, and I was just wondering, what sufferings is he talking about? And it hit me at that moment that before I, from now on, before I have a student read Romans, I need to make sure they are aware of the context in which Paul is writing this book. Because just like we see so often, if someone doesn't really know about you or your life or your experiences, then when you, ex- when you mention how hard things are or when you mention suffering, they could walk away in their, with, the, in, with the question in the back of their mind, what suffering are they talking about? And so I had to explain to my student who was asking the question, what sufferings, that, well, first, Paul is not talking about a tough chemistry test. Right, we, we, can minim, we can minimize suffering sometimes, right? And we can ignore what the Bible is addressing when we're called to endure and persevere. And we're thinking that it's referring to friends that are talking behind our back. And the person that's writing it was literally stabbed or beaten on their back by their friends. What sufferings? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul, what sufferings? And so we looked at Paul's sufferings at that moment. I was, I'm one of those guys that uh, if someone asks me a question, I just, whatever I'm doing, I, I got time for you. Um, and, and I still to this day have so many people that I used to uh, teach or they heard about me and, or a friend say, let's put him on FaceTime, that happened uh, uh, I want to say Friday night, uh, it was around 9.30, a random person called me and said, hey, I have a friend on the phone, we're talking about Jesus, can I ask you a question? And I'm thinking, sure, I had just got food, I had just got food, it was fresh and hot, I'm talking fried catfish, green tomatoes, and I'm, I'm, it's fresh and hot, it's the best to eat those things when they're hot. And an hour and a half later, I finally get off the phone. <laughs> And I I did not regret it at all. I was so excited to talk about Jesus and Romans. A lot of the stuff was Romans-based. And so um, we looked at Paul's suffering right there. I first took him to the book of Acts. 
And I explained to them that suffering was part of Paul's plan from God from the beginning. Uh, You guys may recall Paul's calling and his conversion. Uh, Paul was walking down the road uh, heading towards Damascus, and and he's going to persecute some more Christians. He's been uh, overseeing some killings and and jailings, uh, imprisonments. And Paul is knocked off his high horse, to say, and he is blinded, and he meets Jesus, and he goes to where God, Jesus tells him to go, and there's this other guy named Ananias who God speaks to and says, go to Paul and heal him. He's expecting you to heal him and start him on his mission. And Ananias said, now I know a few Pauls, uh, but is this the one that's killing us? So I've heard a lot of things about this guy. And here's what Jesus' response was. Go, for I have chosen him to be a vessel that's going to introduce me to many people, including Jews and Gentiles. And then he says this, and he will suffer many things for my sake. Ananias knows two things about Paul as he's going to do his part, do his part. And that is, Paul is going to advance the kingdom of God mightily, and he's going to suffer. That's all he knows. And so we begin to look at the book of Acts alone. And in the book of Acts, there's over 20 times that Paul is beaten, opposed because he shared shared the gospel, rejected angrily, uh, and imprisoned. Over 20 times in the book of Acts. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 11, excuse me, 23 through 28, we see maybe not even an exhaustive list of what Paul has been through. And he says it. He says imprisonments, countless beatings, near-death experiences. He says five times I received the 40 minus one lashes. That's when uh, they essentially get the cat of nine tails and they whip you on your back. And it's destroying your back. And he said, I received this five times. It's 40 minus one uh, because they don't want to accidentally go over 40. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. They thought he was dead. That's the only reason they left him alone. He's been shipwrecked three times. He includes that there was once that he was at a drift a night and a day at sea. And he even says in verses 26 through 28, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul's suffering went beyond physical. And then I told a student to continue to read in 2 Corinthians, where Paul mentions a thorn in the flesh. And whatever it was, it was so bad that he pleaded with God three times to remove it. 
what suffering? What does Paul know about suffering? When you know these things and you hear the person that has experienced these things say, for I uh, do not believe that the, the, tr- the troubles of this world, the suffering of this world is worth comparing to the uh, glory that's to be revealed to us, it, it makes you feel a little different about that verse. Three times Paul begged God to remove this thorn. Scholarship disagree on what this thorn could be. It's all speculation. Some think there's an eye problem. Uh, if you read other antiquities about Paul, uh, it, he's uh, described as having bulging eyes, uh, something maybe he was injured dur- during some of the beatings. Uh, there are even times in his letters where he didn't write the letters, but he says, I, Paul, signed the letter or whatever. Look at how big my writing is because maybe he had a hard time seeing. Uh, some think he has nightmares and panic attacks from uh, the visions, the images of what he's done to fellow believers before he was converted. After all, you may recall at the end of chapter 7 in the Acts and the beginning of chapter 8, Paul is there when Stephen is stoned. They laid their coats at his feet and Paul approved of the execution. Now, Paul is a Christian now. And there are still Christians in prison that he put there. There are still grieving mothers and widows and siblings because of people he has killed. Nevertheless, whatever it was, I think we could agree that this was a chronic pain of some sort. When I was quickly doing my studies in this, I decided to look at chronic pain and and the relationship uh, to to Christians. I I, I don't say this um, for pity, but uh, I myself have experienced chronic pain. I was 17 years old, senior in high school, working at a grocery store, and as I'm stocking boxes, one day, my right shoulder stops moving, completely stops working. I, I can't feel it, and I can't move it at that moment. And I, I, I clock out, and I go home. Now, the bad part about it is, at that time, I was driving a stick shift truck. Um, it was a 1989 Isuzu Space Cab pickup truck. All right, The motors and the windows didn't work, so I told everybody it was touchscreen. Um, and... At that moment, I didn't know what was wrong with my shoulder. And unfortunately, from the age of 17 to the age of 26, neither did the doctors. I went from doctors to doctors trying to figure out what could possibly be going on with your shoulder. I had some doctors that downplayed it and felt like maybe I was just over-exaggerating because my shoulder was very strong. I received over, I I received three cortisone shots uh, during that span. Um, I saw a chiropractor who told me that doctors don't know what they're doing and uh, that I just need to get it adjusted. And after about three months of tugging and realigning and all this stuff, my shoulder was still having its problems. I I, I don't want to be too detailed, but the main problem with my shoulder was that during that uh, over eight years, it kept slipping out of place. 
um, maybe I'm, I'm not sure if any of you all may remember, but there's been times here where I was out there playing basketball and I would just take off running to somewhere else because while I was throwing a basketball or something, my shoulder came out of place. Uh, I would play kickball with kids, and when I throw the ball, my shoulder would come out of place. I would be asleep, and I would wake up, and my shoulder was out of place. And I was having pain meds, and uh, I was trying other things. Uh, I never, fortunately, I never got addicted to any of the things, but there was some long-term usage of pain meds and anti-inflammatories to try to help this problem that really isn't that big of a problem, according to some of the people. And what happened was because I was being denied the reality of my pain, I just stopped telling people about it. They're not going to believe me anyway. And it ended up messing with my mind. Can you imagine constantly having this pain? Uh, Some of you all may know what I'm talking about. That at any point, you could be having the best time and all of a sudden feel like someone stabs you as deep as they can with a knife in your shoulder. For some of y'all, it's a back or a hip or a knee. This led to me having, uh, I was already dealing with some signs of of depression, but it started uh, making my mind go bad because I became uh, cynical. I stopped having faith that there was actually going to be a time that I would be relieved of this pain. The cortisone shots, I felt great. I was was so happy. And then next thing I know, there's a day come by where I feel this pain again. And I'm saying, why try? And then uh, a doctor who at the point, at at that time said, uh, we think that the, the problem is you have a tendon that's pressing against your bones. We're just going to go in and we're going to uh, scrape some of the bone off and then you'll be fine. I wake up and I go home with a package of how to recover from bone spur surgery. It's a three-day recovery. Sounds great. Now, let me say this. This happened a week after my honeymoon, too. So, And I called the doctor uh, that day. I said, hey, you, the, the, pap, the paper you gave me says, I'm supposed to be doing this exercise. I can't move my arm. And the nurse says, "Uh, that's not the surgery they did on you. What happened was when they went in, they found out I had a labrum that was torn in four places. And for eight years, they couldn't figure out what was going on. It was only until they went in they saw it. And so I I got a little happy. I'm not going to lie. I started feeling better. Like, okay, this, this is this, this is what life is. I remember feeling like this. I remember not having pain in my shoulder. And the doctor told me, I kid you not, the doctor told me, in seven months, I will give you the all clear. And I'm not lying to you all. I would, I'm not lying. Six months, three weeks, my shoulder comes back out of place. And I lose it all over again. I'm like, I can't go seven months without my favorite arm, right? I, I can't school the kids on the basketball court. Uh, I was I was at one point doing boxing at MMA, but I had to quit because of the dislocations. Uh, so I get it, Paul. I remember going to this verse in Second Corinthians and pleading with God, like God, I'm doing my best here to serve Your kingdom. I'm not taking the high-paying jobs. I'm doing things that few people want to do, and I got to live like this. And 
and even now, I had a second surgery. It was successful. But I'm still on edge. And that's, that's been about four years now. And so I have loved ones that, that I did talk to. And they're always like, be careful, be careful, be careful. Like, and I'm like, I think it's good now. Like, you know, it's been four years. What suffering? I told you all there was people that I didn't tell about this because of how many other people wouldn't believe me. Paul's apostleship and suffering was constantly questioned by other people. When you read his letters and you read the book of Acts, people didn't believe he was truly converted. Some thought that it was his way of trying to get them to come to him so he could kill them. Even the disciples didn't want anything to do with him. There was only two that was willing to take a chance. I think two that took a chance on him before they convinced the others that he is a brother now. There were fellow Jews that wouldn't accept him, and there were Gentiles that wouldn't accept him. The early Christians and the church would not accept him. In fact, he even had to address this group called the super apostles. And these people didn't think he was legitimate because of his suffering. Think of, think of that. There are some people that don't think you're actually suffering, and because you're suffering, people think you aren't, you aren't even an apostle because they had the same mindset that many people have today. That suffering is not part of the people of God. And so while Paul was bragging about his shipwrecks and his beatings and his imprisonments, they were bragging on how much money they made at the last event and how fine their clothes were. And they say, he's not real because, look, he's poor. He's hurt. He has bulging eyes. They say he had a, they described him in the letters as having a, he was short with a bald head and bulging eyes. He's not legitimate. And Paul even himself said, although I appear low in stature, I can make my words weighty. (laughs) Suffering and the perseverance theology isn't that popular, right? The early church had to fight against the notion that health, wealth, and eloquence equals better Christian or preacher. The prosperity gospel is so dangerous because it goes against the warnings and teachings of Jesus that we will suffer. It suggests that you can get a cross, I mean, excuse me, that you can get a crown without the cross, that you can achieve the throne without the thorns, that you can have peace without persecution, honor without humiliation, and we forget that Christ suffered. Think about that. Christ suffered. What sufferings, right? I had a young kid recently ask me, what do you mean Jesus suffered? I thought he was God. Jesus told his disciples on multiple occasions that he must, he used the word must suffer many things and must be killed. And you know what the disciples said? Far be it, Lord. Nah, it won't happen. Don't worry about it. And Jesus says it will happen. And you will also have to participate in it. They thought that Jesus was coming to establish his kingdom here on earth, that he was going to be this political leader that would get rid of Rome and that Israel would have their nation again. And Jesus said, actually, I came to suffer. 
And it's interesting because before he said it, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 says it, that he must suffer many things. And before the Isaiah said it, the songwriter in, in chapter 22 prophesies he will suffer. What suffering? Jesus was abandoned by his closest friends. He had his beard plucked out while he was marching up Calvary. He was mocked and beaten. He was whipped. He was bloody and bruised. And these things must happen. And then he quotes Psalm 22 on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 says, I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. Why? Why does Jesus suffer? Why does he go through what Isaiah 53 says he would go through? Because in that same chapter, Isaiah 53, it says that he was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. His suffering brought about healing. His pain brought about peace. And that's why he wasn't ashamed of his scars. You guys understand that that you going through pain, you having scars, can encourage the next person, can motivate the next person, can put the other person at ease that I too can make it. But yet, we oftentimes put on our best outfit. I'm not talking about clothes. We put on this disguise that everything is great. I told you all my mind was having some issues, and there was this one event at summertime in the village where I had an anxiety attack and passed out. I received a phone call um, from a dear friend of mine at Lincoln Village Ministry now, uh, he still works there, who called me. He said, I just want you to know I have anxiety attacks all the time. You're not alone. And if you ever want to talk to me, this happened. Just let, let's talk. I was embarrassed at first. I thought, this isn't the way a man lives. A man having anxiety attacks and can't breathe and passing out. I mean, I was right there and I wake up on the steps. And then I hear another person who I thought was an even manlier man to me. This guy's tearing down trees and building up houses. And he tells me, hey, I, I battle it all the time. Jesus was not ashamed of his scars. And because of that, we have three invitations. We're invited to witness Christ's suffering. We're invited to join Christ in his suffering. And we're, in Christ, we're invited to endure our sufferings with Christ. You guys recall that after Jesus' resurrection, many of his disciples did not believe the others. But there was this one named Thomas who verbally said, I won't believe it unless I see the scars. Jesus didn't get mad at him for that. Jesus said, come look at him. And he offered him to not just look, but to feel his scars. You know what that brought about for Thomas? Empathy. It's a two-way street, though, right? You have to invite others to feel your pain, and we, those that aren't experiencing it, must be willing 
to experience their pain on their behalf. That's the difference between sympathy and empathy primarily, is that they both have compassion, they both have feelings for someone, but the other one says, I'm going to feel it with you. And that's why when I watch some of the marches with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and you see some of the white pastors and white priests and bishops coming from other places and marching with them, and they join them in those beatings, they get to go home and say, it's real. It's real. Jesus invites us to witness his sufferings because pain can bring about healing. Pain is, it it can be good. In fact, that's the issue with those in in modern day uh, uh, that have what's called leprosy. they, They don't have feelings. And because of that, they can go to sleep and lose a ligament, lose a ligament because they didn't feel any pain while they were asleep, right? If I'm, a, if I'm asleep and a dog bites me, I wake up and say, ouch, get out of here. But if you don't have pain, the dog can remove your hand, which has happened to kids. If you don't have pain, you don't know that you're, you're, you're setting yourself on fire when you touch the stove that's hot, and you cause more damage. Pain says, stop what you're doing. There's something wrong. Go to the doctor. Pain can bring about healing. Uh, Timothy Keller addresses suffering and pain in his book, Reasons for God. And I believe it's chapter 2 where he talks about having this, I mean, horrible nightmare. You just have to read it. I won't describe it. But when he woke up from the nightmare, he was so grateful for his family being alive. And he expresses the fact that if without the nightmares, you wouldn't appreciate the life you have or appreciate not being in the nightmare. And what he was comparing that to was earth. Earth is our nightmare. Earth is not the dream that we always want. But without living here on earth, we would not appreciate our presence in God's heaven, in his kingdom, in his presence. KB, uh, a Christian hip-hop rapper who... I highly recommend his latest album, His Glory Alone. Uh, he wrote a song uh, dedicated to one of his close friends who was actually singing, who had uh, a heart transplant and was needing a second one. Uh, and he summarizes Timothy Keller's uh, chapter 2 uh, in Reasons for God with this verse. I'm going to try to recite it from memory. Uh, I'm not going to rap it, though. I know some of you are having high hopes right now. He says, I may not know what the answer is, but I know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't care or that he does or that he's non-existent. Suffering is a problem and why many have rejected God. But just because you do not know the answer doesn't mean there isn't one. What if God's plan for pain isn't for you to skip it? Sometimes we need a nightmare to appreciate not being in it. The deeper the pain, the deeper the joy upon its ending. Here's the part. Plus, God takes our pain so serious that he joins us in it. No one will ever suffer more than what Jesus, God, experienced on the throne. To have his 
father turned his back on him because of him carrying our sins. The, the, the absence of God's presence is what I define as hell. And those hours on the cross with Jesus was literally hell. And because he joins us in our suffering, we are invited to join him in his suffering. Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Matthew 16, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome it. Second Timothy, Paul tells us everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He also says in Philippians 1, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his name's sake. You want to downplay suffering? You want to downplay the reality of suffering and pain for other people? Then you're discounting millions of believers who have died at the hands of persecution. You think God's plan for our life is to be comfortable and have a three, four, five bedroom house with a car that has unlimited gas and oil? You think pain is trying to do your taxes? Or dealing with the coworker that's annoying? No. You have people that because they believed in Christ were fed to lions. That were thrown into fire. They were put on display in arenas for all to watch their humiliating death. And yet we have some believers that are looking at people like that or others and saying, what suffering? What suffering? I'm comfortable. What are you doing wrong? We have an invitation to join to uh, witness Christ's suffering. We have an invitation to join Christ in his suffering. And we have an invitation to endure our sufferings with Christ. Listen, I tell people that there are only two universal commands in Scripture. I mean, excuse me, there are only two universal promises in Scripture for all believers. Now, there's a lot of promises. And some of them are for a certain group of people, for a certain time frame, for a certain person. But there are two that are universal for every single believer. And the first one is, you will suffer. That's the first promise. That's the first guarantee as a believer. But then the second one, it outweighs it. The second one, it, it has to be what was in the back of Paul's mind when he said, if I consider the suffering of this present time not worth comparing to the glory, because the second promise that is guaranteed to all believers is, I will be with you. We are invited to endure our sufferings with Christ. We, because of that, we do not give up, but we endure. We count it all joy. We press forward. We struggle well, trusting in the sovereign God. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, 
and the time of my departure has come. But he continues by saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. If you suffer like Christ, you will also join him in his reward and his glory. We are to fight the good fight. You can hear this echoed in in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Paul invites us to endure our sufferings with Christ. And we press and fight against these sufferings and temptations. We fight against sin, not against each other. I know some people and some media outlets want to make it seem like it's black versus white. But it's holiness versus evil. It's not one political party versus the other political party. It's the kingdom of heaven versus the gates of hell. And in all of this suffering, Paul comes to God and asks him to remove it. He begs him, please remove it. And you know what Christ's response was? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Our pain gives God the glory. Our weaknesses reveals his might. And our thorns bring about humility. So they see less of us and more of him. That's why Paul can say, I can do, or probably better worded, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can Paul say that? How can Paul say, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me? Because... Christ has suffered and overcame and now has all power. You remember the question, oh, Delph, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Because of this, because of the cross and Christ's resurrection, Paul's conclusion is I will boast in my weaknesses, in my sufferings, in my pain, because when I'm in that situation, the power of Christ will rest upon me. Paul's conclusion is, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. His conclusion is, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. We do not lose heart. For 
this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul's conclusion is this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have endured all things on our behalf. And because of your power, you can now let us know that there is no temptation. There's no adversary that we cannot face because you have fought the battle for us. Help us embrace our weaknesses and our sufferings so that we can give you glory through them. And help us feel for others who are suffering. And even when they go through things we do not understand, help us as believers obey your word that we weep with those that weep. And we fight for them. We fight for restoration. We fight for reconciliation. We fight for fairness. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen. All right. Here's the benediction. Uh, Blessings with peace upon you all. Till we meet again. Amen.